What is faith? We're just diving right in this morning, as deep theologically and philosophically as I can get. What is faith? I mean, that, that, that truly is one of those deep, deep questions can maybe leave our heads spinning as we, as we try to process something like that. Um, faith is a word in our culture, I think, which, um, which typically refers to, uh, or a person might typically use it when referring to religion of some kind. Um, so, so if someone is a person of faith, what it, what it usually means is that, that they believe in some type of religious belief system, right? So faith is used in that, uh, that manner. Faith is understood as a strong belief or even the system of beliefs itself. It might be how faith is referred to. And I don't, I don't have uh, empirical proof about this, but my hunch is if you asked 100 people, 100 random people to describe faith, a solid 90% at least will say something about belief in their description. Um, and I'm not here this morning to reject the notion that, uh, that faith involves belief. And in fact, I think the Bible is, is clear that a necessary component of faith is belief. Uh, but what we're going to spend time talking about this morning and, and what we'll see Jesus address in Luke chapter 17 is the other component of faith that, that sometimes uh, gets forgotten. And, and that other component is action. Action. That's why I called uh, the sermon this morning active faith. F faith is more than mere belief. It, it is belief connected to action. It's action connected to belief. That is, that is what faith is. So, so we began uh, the service, uh, Jim read for us, uh, the passage of scripture from James chapter 2. And that is perhaps the, the go-to passage when talking about this two-sided understanding of faith, belief that is accompanied by action. Um, and it's in that passage that, that we get the, the famous statement, faith without works is dead. Right? It comes from there. Uh, we're told in that passage as well that even even demons believe in God. So the, in, in that statement, there's a distinction between, well, can demons really have faith, right? If faith only equals belief, and if demons have belief in God, does that mean they have faith in God? Well, we would say, of course not. So there must be something else that demons don't have along with their belief. So, so it's, it's clear that, that simple intellectual belief is, is not enough to support an actual faith in God. That faith must lead to actions or, or works, as it's stated in James chapter 2. Now, now in making this distinction, I'm going to have to give this caveat, we're not talking about a salvation or, or about a righteousness that, that we attain as the result of our works. We're not going there. We can't go there. The Bible doesn't go there. That, that is not that is not what uh, faith is. That's not how we, how we experience salvation. Our works can never secure salvation for us from our sinfulness. Uh, we might even say that uh, just as faith without works is dead, so works without faith is futile. We kind of have that other side of the description there. So, so all that to say, the view of faith 
really presented in the Bible as something more than only an intellectual belief. It's a belief in God which, which leads to and, and which shows itself through our actions. Our belief in Jesus impacts our actions, which then I would say in turn impacts our belief, which impacts our actions, and faith just turns into this cycle that, that uh, keeps building within our lives. So, so th- that's what we're going to see this morning. In, in Luke chapter 17, where we're going to be, Jesus discusses some of the specific ways, I think, in which our faith will show itself through our actions. So we're going to move from the hypothetical down to some, some concrete uh, examples of that this morning. So I would encourage you to open to Luke chapter 17, if you've not, and we're going to start in verse 1 and, and just see how our faith in God will, will impact here, specifically, our response to sin. So Luke 17, verse 1, and he said, Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So we'll stop right there for now because there's plenty just in those first four verses. Until Jesus returns to the earth and until the final judgment upon sin takes place, we're going to continue to live in a fallen world where sin exists and where temptation to sin exists. But even so, what we see, those who profess faith in God ought to respond to sin in a manner different from those who do not profess faith in God. So in verses 1 and 2, Jesus gave a pretty strong warning to his followers about the, the seriousness of provoking others through temptation and, and through leading others into sin. Now, it's one thing for an individual to sin in a, in a private manner. Okay, that, that constitutes a rebellion against God. Um, it is an affront to his holiness. It warrants from our righteous God, a a justice, which will be given in the form of judgment. Uh, That judgment will be meted out during eternal separation from God in hell. So so, suffice it to say, individual private sin, which even hypothetically affects no one else, is still a very serious matter with, with eternal consequences. But in addition to all of that, in verses 1 and 2, Jesus gave that strong warning to his followers about the seriousness of not just that, but provoking others to sin, provoking others through temptation. So not only is a person bringing on themselves all the things that that I just mentioned, but they're now leading others into those same things as well. And Jesus says, it's better to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than to lead others into sin. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a bold statement that Jesus makes. You might as well be dead rather than leading others 
into sin. And, and, and just for clarification, when, when uh, verse 2 says, one of these little ones to sin, we might immediately picture children, but, but that's, not, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Um, different places in the Gospels, th- this expression is used to refer to any of Jesus' disciples. So this is a strong warning against leading any of God's children into sin. It doesn't matter whether they're a child or an adult, any, any follower of God. It, it, it would be better for us to plunge to certain physical death than to lead others into sin. And that shakes me a little bit because I've done that. We've all done that, if we're honest with ourselves, right? Whether we meant to or not, we've done things or maybe responded in a way that, that we weren't proud of, that wasn't God-honoring, but that that you know, impacted somebody else. But because we've all done that in one form or another, man, I think we find, when we read this, we we find yet another reason to praise God for his mercy that is poured out upon us. Because we're still alive and breathing today, because we've not been thrown into the sea with a millstone around our neck, and and, and because we can can find forgiveness in Jesus we're spared what we truly deserve when we think about this. Man, what a, what a blessing that is that, that God responds to us in that way when we come to him. You know, what, what Jesus' words here show us is, is, is that our faith in God should affect our, our attitude and response towards sin. I, I don't think we can read these verses and downplay the seriousness of sin. That, that doesn't allow us to do that. Uh, we, we can't presume upon God's mercy by just doing whatever our sinful nature leads us to do and then nonchalantly say, well, Jesus will forgive me. That's what he does. He's a forgiving God. He'll, he'll forgive me for this. That, we can't read these verses and come away with that attitude. We have to give consideration to the ways in which our actions not just affect us, but, but affect those around us as well. And so, yeah, in, in, in addition to that response to sin, because the first couple verses talks about, okay, kind of our response to sin and temptation. An act of faith also ought to impact how we respond when somebody sins against us. So it's not just what we do to somebody else, but, but when someone sins against us. Because in a fallen world, it's not just that we ourselves sin. It's also that we'll experience instances where others sin against us. And so in that situation, what we see is in verses 3 and 4, an an active faith must show itself through rebuke and forgiveness. Those are the two things Jesus highlights in verses 3 and 4. When we, when we, uh, well, when someone sins against us, we have to recognize that slavery to sin is, is a terrible place to be. And so in love and in compassion, we rebuke that person. Uh, now, now this, isn't, this isn't license to let them have it, right? That, that, that's not what Jesus is saying here. The, the goal in rebuking someone who sins against us is not, the goal is not revenge. It's not retaliation. It's not even justice, from us. We leave justice to God. The, the goal is, is to rebuke a person in such a way that the seriousness of sin is recognized 
and then hopefully that leads to repentance and, and seeking of forgiveness, as Jesus states here in these verses. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives kind of some more detailed instructions regarding this, this process. Um, and in Matthew 18, what Jesus says is, uh, you know, the first thing that must happen when somebody sins against us is that, that we confront that person individually. You know, to use the language of Luke 17, we, we rebuke them individually. And so that, that, that doesn't mean on the Facebook wall. That doesn't mean in the hallway after church here in a public place like that. It doesn't even mean through somebody else. Well, you, you know, why don't you go tell them for me? That, that, that's not what, what uh, Jesus calls for in Matthew 18. We, we approach them individually as a brother or sister in Christ. That's what we're called to do. And, and, and ideally, that, that will lead to repentance. Ideally, that first step is, is all that needs to take place. But it doesn't always. And, and, and if it doesn't, then Matthew 18 goes on and tells us, then, then well, if that, if that doesn't bring about repentance, then, then we bring one or two other people into the situation as well. Again, not to gang up on someone, but, but to show the seriousness of sin, as, as we've talked about. And so, uh, you know, it, it might be somebody who's kind of impartial to the situation. It might be, uh, it might be one of the elders of the church. Uh, I mean, part of the reason we have the elders listed in the bulletin each week is, is so that, that you, you know who you can go to for, for, uh, for help in a situation like that. Um, so again, ideally, in that step, there would, there would be repentance. There would be forgiveness sought. But, but if still nothing changes if there is not that repentance then it it becomes an official church matter and that seems like a big jump right like an official church matter really but again the reason it becomes a matter pertaining to the entire church body goes back to verses one and two that, that we just discussed if a person is stubbornly clinging to sin and refusing to repent then then there's great danger there for the church body. There's danger there that, uh, that they will lead others into temptation and lead others into sin as well. And because sin is a serious matter, like we've talked about, then, then the church body ought to handle that situation accordingly. Now, I mean, let's be honest. Rebuking another brother or sister in Christ is not fun. That, that's not, we don't go into those things joyfully. And if we do, then our heart may not be in the right place. <laughs> it's not really a fun thing. It can, it can be nerve-wracking. It can be very stressful. Um, it can be relationship-altering. Well, let's just say it. it can, a relationship might be different forever from that point forward. But an active faith in God, I think, will cause a person to, to follow what Jesus is saying here in Luke 17, to rebuke someone when they sin against us, we have faith in God that's active, and we, we, we risk all those things that I just mentioned, the, the stress, the being, you know, altering the relationship. We risk that because we're trusting that God's ways are the best ways. We're showing that our faith in him is, is a real, alive, active faith by doing that, even though there's part of us that really doesn't want to do that, doesn't want to have to do that. But when we do that, I, I believe many times our rebuke of sin will be met with an attitude of repentance, either right away or eventually. I, I have faith that that will often be the result, and I think that's why Jesus dives right into forgiveness after that. 
It's just what comes next. When we rebuke someone who has sinned against us and they come to that place of repentance, then, then forgiveness is what comes next. Jesus went on to prescribe forgiveness in response to repentance. And that's the entire goal anyway, right? That, that's why we even walk through that, is to see repentance. And so then we ought to offer that forgiveness. And, and not only forgive them the first time that we sin, but Jesus goes on in verse 4 and says, you know, if we forgive them and then they sin against us again and come back and repent of that sin again, then we forgive them again. And if that process transpires again, we, we forgive them again and we just keep doing it. We just keep forgiving again and again and again. And, and we, we could go down a whole rabbit trail this morning of uh, the effects of forgiveness on the person offering it. I mean, th there's all kinds of studies that have been done that, that show um, decreased stress and increased joy and better health and even longer life. I mean, all, all kinds of studies that point to these things as, as being one of the benefits of forgiveness. But even aside from all of those things, even if none of those things were true, the bottom line is that we ought to forgive be because of what God has, he's prescribed for us to do that, but it's based on his character anyway. It's based on the forgiveness that he has shown us, that he gives to us. He himself forgives us again and again and again when we come to him in repentance. And so in light of that, an active faith ought to lead us to extend that same forgiveness to others again and again and again. And so there, there may be there may be a situation in your life this morning where, uh, where your faith in God is, is not showing itself through action in this way. Um, it might be dismissing the seriousness of, of sin in an area of your life. Maybe you've not confronted someone who has sinned against you. It's been buried, the hurt's been buried deep down and just kind of left to fester there for months or, or years maybe. Um, maybe you've not offered forgiveness to someone uh, I'd say consider this passage this morning the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is Jesus directing us, saying, this is one of the things that active faith looks like. God's words to us here are quite clear, and so it's, um, it's time. It, it, it's time for our faith in this area to lead to action. All right, it's time. God, God prompts us through through his words here. But Aaron, you don't know. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know the hurt that it's caused. Uh, there's no way I could confront them. There's no way I could forgive them. Aaron, you just, you just don't know. And you might be right. I, you probably are right. I don't know. I would say the disciples who first heard Jesus speak these words felt the same way. And, and maybe had those exact same thoughts in their minds. Like, no, Jesus, but you just don't know. L listen, listen to what transpired next. Verse 5 of Luke 17. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So, 
we've got to picture this. Je- Jesus' closest followers, I, I mean, they're the ones who've, the, they've, they've seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen him cast out demons. They've, they've seen him raise the dead. They recognize that what Jesus just said about leading into, lead, uh, tempting others into sin and rebuking and forgiving, they realize that's a tall order. This is a big ask that Jesus is making. And because of that, they say, Jesus, we need more faith. We want to do that, and so we need more faith so that we can do that. They believed that if their faith would grow bigger, then they could do what Jesus was prescribing in those first four verses. And we've probably felt that way, right? I, I can say I've felt that way. Maybe you have too. Uh, man, if I, if I just had a little more faith, had a little bigger faith, then, then I'd be able to respond how I should. Maybe, maybe we watched somebody else go through a situation, a difficult situation. Maybe we saw them confront somebody in sin or we saw them offer forgiveness in, in, in kind of a big way. And we just say, man, if my faith was more like theirs, then then I'd be able to do what they did. You know, Jesus debunks that belief right here. He basically says, no, no, that's not how it works. In response to the disciples' request, Jesus told them they don't need more faith. What they needed was not more. Is that the the answer we would expect Jesus to give? (laughs) Guys, you don't need more faith. I mean, instead, what they needed was to act on the faith that they already had. And and he painted this picture of faith that's as small as a mustard seed being able to uproot a large tree and and throw it into the sea. And so I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, did the disciples have faith the size of a mustard seed? I mean, Jesus said that's what they needed, and then the tree could be uprooted. So did they have that faith? And if they didn't, then yeah, yeah, they need more faith if they don't. But if they did have faith, hello, if they did have faith the size of a mustard seed, and I firmly believe they did, then they already had all the faith they needed. They had it all. Instead of more faith, they needed to step out in action and trust God's power in the situation. What matters in the situation isn't the size of our faith, but the trustworthiness of God's power. That, that's what it comes down to. So we might look at a situation where we've uh, struggled to rebuke someone of sin, or we've, we've struggled to offer forgiveness, and, and, and assume that, well, once my faith grows bigger, I'll, I'll be able to do that. And, and Jesus' response is, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you've got all that you need. That's all the faith that's needed there. What's needed is to act on that faith. Allow God to do his thing through the power that he possesses. Uh, You know, Satan will tell us we're not mature enough. Satan will tell us we don't have enough faith. God says, no, no, my, my power is made perfect in your weakness. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's enough. It is enough. And so what we have to do is put that faith into action. No matter how big or small we think it is, put it into action and and then get ready to watch God work because that's what he does, is he works. The other option available, so we could step out in the faith that we have, put that trust in God and allow him to work. The other option is to trust in ourselves. 
and, and take care of things all ourselves. And, and Jesus painted another picture in verse 7, verses 7 through 10, about, about what that type of response might look like. And so Jesus goes on in verse 7 and says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Now, so we don't live in a time where slavery is an institution in our culture, and, and, and that is a very good thing. But we can still understand what Jesus is driving at here, right? We, we can still understand the, the foolishness of, of a servant performing his or her duties, then coming into the house at the end of the day and expecting to be waited on by their master, right? That, that, that's a picture that, that wouldn't jive with that situation. It's not Jesus supporting slavery in any way. He, he's just making a point based on what people understand, based on the context. So a servant performs his or her tasks not to earn reward or appreciation, but, but, but because it's their duty under that system. And, and so the people would have easily recognized that, that they wouldn't come in and say to the master, well, you wait on me now. Like that, that, didn't, that didn't work in that system. So, so if we trust in our good works to earn us credit with God, it's as foolish as that servant coming in from the field, leaning back, in the chair, putting their feet on the table and say, okay, now you serve me, right? That, that's not how that would have been set up at that time. And, and so we don't perform good works in order to earn rewards or appreciation from God. That's putting faith in ourselves. Instead, we perform good works as an outflow of our faith. It's, it's, it's our faith showing itself in action. It's the result of an active faith in God. So if we go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, if we go back to the mustard seed and the mulberry tree, the tree doesn't move because of anything we do. That's not why the tree moves. Not at all. The tree moves into the sea because of God's power. It's his work in the situation that causes things to happen. So what verses 5 through 10 communicate to us is, is the futility of seeking to separate belief from action. If we, if we believe but have no action, kind of like the, the, the disciples did in verses 5 and 6, the tree stays put. On the other hand, if we have action but no belief, which is what Jesus was driving at in verses 7 through 10, the tree still stays put because belief is separated from action. But if our belief in God shows itself through action, well, we get another story in Luke 17 that shows us what that looks like, belief and action working together. So in the final nine verses today, there's kind of an incredible result of active faith in God. And, and in true Lucan fashion, he shows this active faith that, that, that it can be in anyone's life. Maybe somebody that they wouldn't have been expecting at that time. So look with me at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, 
Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So we see here that this group of ten, ten lepers who met Jesus on the road on his way to Jerusalem. And, and these lepers stood at a distance, which protocol at the time would have demanded that they do. So they stand at a distance and, and ask Jesus, shout out to Jesus, to have mercy upon them. And Jesus' response to them was, was simply, go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourself to the priest. And, and, and even, though, even though Jesus didn't say anything about being healed, the command to go show the priest would have anticipated that healing. Um, we see in Leviticus 14 that th- this whole process before the priest that, that it's commanded for those who have been cleansed from leprosy. So Jesus is, is essentially saying, go do what you would do as if you were healed. And so what fascinates me in this account is that the moment Jesus gave that command, go show yourself to the priest, it seems like they hadn't been healed yet of their leprosy. Like Jesus spoke those words, but, but as they stood there hearing those words and processing those words, nothing had changed yet. Right? What was probably visible on their skin was still visible on their skin. The leprosy was still there. And so it wasn't until, and, and the text makes it clear, as they went, they were cleansed. So at some point, there was a, you can almost imagine the conversation happening in the minds of these ten. Jesus says, go so, show yourself to the priest. They say to themselves, well, I'm not healed yet. At some point, their faith is active and shows itself by them picking up their foot and starting that journey. And it was a multi-day journey to get to Jerusalem to go show themselves to the priest. So it was, it was not until they left. It's not until their faith showed itself through action. Sometime after that, that they were cleansed of their leprosy. Their faith in Jesus' directions showed itself through their actions. I mean, it would have been one thing for Jesus to heal them right then and there, the skin clears up, and then Jesus says, now go show yourself to the priest. But it's a whole other thing to ask them to go before they've even been cleansed. And it makes me think, you know, there's, there's times in our lives where an active faith in God means that we act before God's power shows itself in that specific situation. They'd probably heard about Jesus before. That's, I'm sure that's why they called out to Jesus and wanted him to heal them. So they knew about Jesus' power, but in that specific situation, they acted before his power showed itself. You know, I, I'm the kind of person that, that I like to have my ducks in a row. I like to thoroughly think through things and have a good, a good amount of certainty regarding the outcome before I act. But many times that's not the way God works in our lives. 
And so I, I, I think about uh, my own life, uh, the life of our family. This played itself out 10 years ago when, when Megan and I moved here to Eureka. Um, I, I've been asked before, how did you know God was calling you to leave your church in Indiana and come here to Eureka Bible? And, and the honest short answer is we didn't know for sure. There wasn't like this 100% certainty God didn't speak to either of us in a dream like he might sometimes do. Um, but through prayer and discussion and, and investigation, we just had a clearer and clearer sense of God directing us here. But it was never a 100% certainty. But it was an increasing confidence. And, and so the moment came for us where where our faith needed to show itself through action. Uh, we didn't know what lay ahead. We, we, we still don't know what, what lays ahead in our lives. But in faith, we, we stepped out and took that journey, trusting that God would be with us every step of the way. And so, uh, you know, y- you may be thinking about something in your life and, and waiting for God to make it 100% clear regarding the decision that is before you. And perhaps he will. Maybe he will give that level of clarity. I think he does at times. There, there's other times in my life where I would say, if it wasn't 100% certain, it was 99.9 that I knew what God was directing me to do. So that may happen. But but it may be that God is nudging you in a certain direction, waiting for your faith to be put into action before his power shows itself there specifically. It may be, and I'm not saying, you know, haphazardly make decisions and just kind of hope for the best and say, well, I'm just gonna, you know, but I'm saying that we ought to follow God's leading and, and put our faith into action, even without knowing exactly how it's going to work out in the end. I think we see that in the the lives of all 10 of these lepers here. There's times where an act of faith prompts action before God's power is manifest. But then there's also times where an act of faith responds to God's power that has been made manifest. And that's what we see in the one leper that came back to Jesus. And, And as has been the theme throughout Luke, The one showing that thankfulness was the despised Samaritan. I mean, it shouldn't even shock us by now. You know, we're we're a lot of the way through Luke's gospel. That that should not shock us one bit. Now, now see, the Samaritan people as a whole were actually incorrect in their their, uh, uh, understanding of God. And you can say the Jews had a lot of things wrong, too. but, But the Samaritans really were incorrect. They only held to the authority of the first five books of the Old Testament. That's all they considered to be authoritative, which is incorrect. All of the Old Testament, all of the Bible is authoritative. Um, they, they, as a result of that, they believed that God's temple should be on Mount Gerizim, which when you read throughout the scripture, you know that's not what God called his people to do. His temple was to be in Jerusalem. And, and so they even had their own priests to serve at their own temple. So, so they were incorrect in that. And yet, this Samaritan man was, was given a faith from God that allowed him to recognize the power of Jesus at work. You know, any, any faith in our lives, even, even the smallest mustard seed that we were talking about, it's a gift from God. 
that we ought to be thankful for. It's not this faith that we stir up within ourselves. It's, it, it's a gift. You know, when the disciples asked for more faith, they were incorrect in the amount of faith that they needed, but they were correct when it came to the source of the faith. They, they, they were right on that it, that faith is from Jesus, from God. So, uh, you know, as Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one comes to me. No one comes to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Um, in Titus 3, 5, we see that we're not saved because of righteous works, but because of God's mercy. So, so the faith that we have is a gift. And, and we participate in it. We participate in our active faith, just like the lepers did when they began that journey, even before they were healed. But we also, we also recognize that that active faith is, is a gift from God, and it, and it ought to lead us to a place of thankfulness. When we see what God has done in our lives, it brings us back to him, back to him in worship, just like this one leper did here. So to sum all of this up this morning, uh, faith, true faith in God shows itself through action. It, it just does. And, and, and while we rightly place a, a, a high priority on understanding God intellectually and understanding God emotionally, uh, we also recognize the necessity of belief showing itself through action. So a, a disciple of Jesus is never meant to be a person who can ace a quiz about God, but never displays God's character in his or her life. That, that, that's not meant to, that's just not a disciple. It's not a disciple of Jesus. As James says, I'll, I'll show you my faith by my works. And Jesus gave some good practical, specific pictures of that in Luke 17 specifically what that active faith would look like in a person's life. And there's lots of other pictures throughout the Bible as well. Um, but I know for me, there's, there's plenty in uh, just this morning's passage to keep me busy for a while. There's lots of specifics there that, uh, uh, that I can chew on and uh, seek to live out in my life. So I, I think we ought to take back that description, you know, we talked about that phrase, people of faith, you know, what does that mean? I, I think we ought to take it back and, and make it mean more than simply someone who believes in God. Because again, demons believe in God. We, w we wouldn't call them people or, or beings of faith. So I think we ought to take back that phrase and, and, and be people of faith according to the biblical understanding of, of that phrase people who believe in God and show it through their actions, that those things working together is, is what, what the Bible would call faith and who the Bible would describe as people of faith. So let's stand together and let's come to God again, giving thanks for the faith that he's given to us and asking him to, to guide us and to empower us to live that out in our lives. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you this morning um, for who you are, for how you are actively working. God, we know that every little mustard seed of faith in our lives comes from you. It, it is a gift from you. And so we recognize that, and, and, and in that recognition, we, 
We don't want to become prideful or boastful, but, but to be humble before you and thankful before you and worshipful before you. But God, we also recognize that, that there's a participation that, that we're called to, that this faith shows itself in our lives through action. And again, we know that that's not to secure anything or to show our worth before you or, or any of that. It's just simply in response to who you are and what you've done within us. And so I ask that you would, you would empower me and strengthen me and, and all of us to be living that out. That we would be people of faith, not, not just based on what we believe but on how our beliefs show itself in our lives through what we do. Thank you for the specifics you've given us in Luke 17 this morning. Guide us in that, challenge us in that, convict us in that. God, I'm thankful that we even have the opportunity to be people of faith. And so would you continue working in our lives in such a way that that, that phrase and that statement is more and more true each and every day. We give you praise this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.